Hello, everybody. Welcome to our mental health services Connecting Badgers podcast. My name is Mary Eldridge. My pronouns are she, her, hers, and I am a survivor services provider with mental health services at EOHS. Today, I'll be one of your hosts. Hello, my name is Casey Tice, LPC. I use she, her, and hers pronouns, and I am an access specialist and care manager at UHS. Greetings, everyone. My name is Liz Westcott Barton. I use she, her, and her pronouns, and I'm also a licensed professional counselor and access specialist uh, here at UHS. It's important to note that this podcast does not replace mental health treatment and should not be considered as such. If you are interested in learning more about seeking mental health treatment at UHS, you can webbook a confidential access appointment through the My UHS portal. There is no appointment too small to schedule an access appointment. Access specialists are here to discuss your concerns and assist you in getting connected to mental health resources. If you have any questions about meeting with an access specialist, you can call the Mental Health Services front desk at 608-265-5600, option number two, and we will answer any questions that you might have before you get scheduled. Or if you would prefer to get connected to a provider outside of UHS, we can assist with this also. As a reminder, you can access 24-7 crisis resources if in a mental health emergency. These include the UHS crisis line at 608-265-5600, option 9. You can call 911 in an emergency. And just as a content warning ahead of this episode, um, this episode contains a discussion of intimate partner violence, sexual assault, sexual harassment, stalking, dating, and domestic violence, including within the campus setting. Last episode, we discussed the metaphor of seasons in relation to our lives. Were folks able to reflect on this more in the past week? How was that? You know, I feel like I keep thinking about it um, in the sense that I feel like I have been stuck at home for so long that then I come out and yesterday um, uh, we removed Christmas lights or, you know, like holiday lights and stuff. And um, it just felt different to be outside. Totally. Like engage, you know, with the wind, with the sun. Um, uh, So that felt really, really nice. Um, uh, It just, you know, kind of made me think about, yeah, like what I love about this kind of weather, um, um, which, you know, as you all know, it's sweater weather for me. That's my thing. I love that. And I totally agree as, you know, the seasons change. It's always an interesting time for like reflection and kind of what does it feel like? And I love that kind of idea of like taking down holiday lights and kind of being out in the elements and experiencing like, oh, this is like really a physical change too. So yeah, I really appreciate you sharing that, Mary. Yeah, there's just a feeling you get when it's spring. Like there's something just in the air that changes where it just, it feels so different. And spring just always gives me so much hope. And I feel like I'm coming in, especially like this year, we needed that. Um, Coming in with so much more hope, which has been really nice. Totally. Totally. Jinx. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, the other thing that I was thinking about was like coming outside, which I was, you know, like I said, I haven't done this in a while and noticing the plants Um, uh, and like how they're still dead, right? But it made me think about, you know, like just noticing, you know, the regrowth and the change and the transformation. And um, um, yeah, that, that also made me, um, um, 
curious, intrigued, and, and hopeful. Um, uh, and I thought that was a, an interesting thing from this year for me. Most definitely. Well, thank you, Mary and Casey, for sharing those things. Today, we are so thankful to have a guest, Nola Pastor from Violence Prevention at UHS, who will work with us on Navigating Sexual Assault Awareness Month, or also called SAM. Thank you so much for joining us, Nola. Would you like to further introduce yourself? Yeah, thanks so much, Liz, and thanks to all of you for having me here today. I'm grateful to be here. I'm Nola Pastor, as Liz said, she, her, hers, and I work on the violence prevention team here at University Health Services. Well, we are super excited to have you. It's so grateful. It's always great to work with other folks kind of within our same agency and have time and make space for this. And we really appreciate all of the space that you have taken out of your day to share with us. Yeah, it's a gift to be here as well. I always talk about like building relationships is violence prevention work, is culture change work, right? So I'm always really excited to um, have that conversation. And I really appreciate all that you all do in your own roles too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, uh... Again, also super excited. Um, uh, so Nola, to kind of like get us started on the conversation, um, uh, I know that um, uh, we have for a long time worked, of course, on like prevention efforts um, uh, on campus and also pieces around surveys and, and just understanding more data and like what's happening on our campus, et cetera. So can you tell us a little more about the AAU survey? Yeah, definitely. So AAU stands for the Association of American Universities. So this is uh, a national group that did a survey of colleges across the country related to like the prevalence and dynamics of sexual and relationship violence um, and a number of other things that I can talk more about. And they did the inaugural first survey in 2015. And we participated in that as an institution, as UW-Madison. And then it was done again um, in spring 2019. So a couple of years ago. So again, that survey is looking at um, how many students are experiencing these forms of violence and also what are their experiences um, with violence or as survivors. So in terms of kind of help seeking or utilizing resources, how aware are students at large of, of understanding definitions of violence, um, understanding resources that are available to them, what are kind of campus attitudes about uh, related to like bystander intervention practices related to violence um, and how are students feeling about how the institution responds to violence or how much trust is there um, in the institution to respond appropriately. So there are more things beyond that too, um, but that's kind of part of the scope of what the EAU survey is assessing. Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I think that's really important information and like context to have because I think one question I also have is like, are there any particular findings from that that you would like to share with our guests or discuss more today? I think that would be really important info. Definitely. Um, and please feel free to like stop me, ask questions, ask about things that you feel like I'm missing. Um, totally. I will share transparently data is not my strong suit. I think it's really important. Uh, I've done my best to kind of gather uh, some of the what feel like main takeaways for me, but feel free to ask more specific questions about numbers or anything like that. Sure. So one of the main things that I think probably everyone at UW-Madison knows, most folks in the community know at this point is that sexual violence and different forms of relationship violence are really, really prevalent at UW-Madison in similar ways to other campuses across the country um, and communities outside of campus spaces. So one thing in particular that is hard to recognize but important is that sexual assault is no less prevalent than it was when we did the survey four years earlier. 
Um, so I think that's just important to, to sit with, right, that these are really entrenched challenges um, that we're still seeing really large numbers of students who are experiencing harm. Um, and not just assault, but also harassment and not just forms of assault that we maybe think of as sexual violence, things that are kind of, we often conceive of as rape, um, but also different forms of like unwanted touch um, in, in different social settings. Um, so I think the takeaway for me there is just that these forms of violence, even as awareness, you know, is raised and we're talking about it more, um, are really normalized often, kind of considered not a big deal or somewhat expected and just happening to a lot of folks throughout our campus community. Um, also, unsurprisingly, we see that patterns of oppression and marginalization are replicated in dynamics of violence on campus. So we're seeing higher rates of assault among marginalized students, um, specific groups of BIPOC students, so particularly like Indigenous, Latinx, and multiracial students, um, LGBTQ plus students, particularly queer and bisexual women, and disabled students. Um, and we're also seeing that folks based on their identities have different perceptions of how trustworthy the institution is in responding to violence um, and different practices around things like bystander intervention. I, we also continue to see that alcohol is a key social factor in how violence plays out on campus, which I think is just about how broader dynamics around kind of campus norms and institutional identity and what we think of as what it like means to be a UW-Madison student um, are really intersecting with widespread experiences of violence. We're also often hearing that survivors or students who've experienced these forms of violence don't necessarily seek support um, in any formal way and report that that is often because of feeling like the experience wasn't like quote unquote serious enough or there are other ways that it doesn't look like what we classically understand um, sexual or relationship violence to look like. So students naming that because they were drinking at the time, because it began consensually, because it seems like something a lot of people experience. Um, for men survivors that they think people might not take it seriously because of the gender of the person who assaulted them, frequently women. Um, and sometimes even that students are reporting to other students that something's happened or other people on campus or in the community and are not getting the validating reaction or the recognition of how serious that harm might have been for them. Um, so I think there's the, the pieces around how often violence is happening, how violence is happening, who violence is happening to, but then also after the fact, you know, how are we kind of understanding that landscape of harm and how validated do people feel in seeking support and, and healing for themselves. One thing that's kind of more positive you could look at from the 2019 survey is we're, we are seeing higher levels of awareness of resources and kind of 101 definitions of violence among students. And I think this reflects or could, could be seen as reflecting increased like programming and content and communication around these topics for students. So particularly for graduate and professional students, we're seeing kind of like a, a bigger shift. And I think there has been a lot more energy resources directed towards that population from our office and other folks in the last few years. We're also seeing that majority of students who witness harassment or something they believe could lead to an assault are intervening in some way. So we don't necessarily have a great understanding of what that looks like. Um, you know, how frequently is that the case? What do those interventions look like? How best practice or impactful are they? But all of that, I think, reflects that people care about these issues on campus, right? Students care. They're thinking about these things. Knowledge is shifting. And we're not seeing that fully translate 
um, or, or really translate that materially in, into the um, number of people who are experiencing harm. So I think it's important to both kind of gather what are the gains, how is culture shifting on campus and in the broader community, and really to think critically about, you know, what are the things that are standing in our way, um, and just be really honest about how many people are being hurt, like how that's happening, um, and take collective responsibility for acknowledging that as a community. I also want to mention that all of these results are actually publicly available on the UHS website. So we will link it on our description, but folks feel free to like also visit those results. Um, uh, Nola, thank you so much for your insight um, and how you have um, uh, brought in um, uh, the results in a way that is like also more accessible for us. Um, uh, so thank you so much for doing that. Um, uh, so yeah. Totally. And in a super nuanced way, I feel like there are so many different factors that you kind of mentioned that it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's worth considering. That's worth considering. That's worth considering. And it seems like it's so like big and vast. I mean, like, how do we do this work? Right. Like, I think that's just kind of what I've been reflecting on of like, where do we start? How do we do it? Um, yeah. Totally. Yeah. Thanks for naming that Liz. Um, and, and thanks, Mary, for reminding folks that they can access all of this information. Um, there's like some interactive infographics. There's a lot of numbers. And if people have questions about the data and want to talk more about it, um, please feel free to email violenceprevention at uhs.wisc.edu as well. Um, or if you feel like there's there's something that's like hard to track down that you're interested in in the data. But yeah, Liz, I think it's um, it's really a challenge with this work. I think we often like want it to be simple, right? Because we want to just end violence, of course. Who doesn't yes. want that? And also, like we know that's not how violence works. That's not how oppression works. That's not how healing works, right? It's messy, and and that's tough. Um, totally. And I think something we try to do in our team is acknowledge that um, and kind of help, kind of create spaces of sitting with that, right? In in meaningful and hopefully transformative ways um, for folks and kind of start really big with the landscape and then really drill down to like what are you know small concrete empowering things all of us can do within our lives to shift the culture um so just want to name that it's big it's overwhelming this stuff can also be really activating to think and talk about especially based on personal experiences and like we really believe the change can be um really close to home like really hard but really achievable in our own practices and relationships and lives Thank you for that, Nola. Yeah, the scope of that AAU survey is vast, but I feel like you summarized that so well in such a short amount of time. So thank you for that. Um, but moving on, because I know there's so much to unpack in all of that topic, but mindful of time, um, I wanted to ask, what is the Culture of Respect Collective? And could you tell us a little bit more about that? Definitely. So the Culture of Respect Collective is an initiative out of NASPA, which is a National Association of Student Affairs Professionals. It actually was like an independent effort before that, but it's now kind of housed within NASPA. So Culture of Respect within NASPA um, brings together campuses um, throughout the country. There's also some campuses that participate internationally for self-assessment and targeted action planning related to violence prevention and response. So they're really helping campuses look at different core areas of um, prevention practices, um, of response practices, and kind of work collaboratively within um, 
within groups of folks on campus to kind of make specific concrete changes to align better with best practices around violence prevention and response. So here at UW-Madison, um, this effort is really led by Molly Zemke, uh, my supervisor, who's the violence prevention team manager. And we began participating as an institution in spring 2020. So we have more than 40 student, staff, faculty members who were part of that kind of initial broader group. We spent summer of 2020 um, really working on the self-evaluation. So going through a lot of different specific questions um, related to kind of how our campus is currently practicing prevention and response. Uh, Mary's been part of that effort and really appreciated her insight and participation. Um, and then this fall, we really shifted into kind of developing focus areas for our um, change work moving forwards. And this semester that's really been concretized into like smaller action teams. So we have a messaging and communication action team, resource and response, identity and membership based prevention efforts, and then a couple of kind of groups that are affiliated with these efforts, um, an emerging anti-violence student coalition led by PAVE or Promoting Awareness Victim Empowerment, which is a student anti-violence org or a primary student anti-violence org on campus, um, and another team working on um, out of a grant that's doing some related uh, work to the things we're working on in culture of respect. So that's a brief summary, lots of pieces, happy to answer any follow-up questions. I feel like culture of respect is like such a perfect example of interdisciplinary work and like getting together and collaborative working towards like culture change and like actually supporting um, uh, students and, you know, of course, like the prevention piece and also the response piece of violence. Um, so thank you so much for that, Nola. That was a lovely answer and I appreciate it. Awesome. So. I'm thinking about also our last question, um, uh, and it's so related to everything that we we're talking about. So what is needed to shift the prevalence of violence on campus from your perspective? Thanks, Mary. Yeah, and I appreciate your thoughts on culture of respect too, um, because I think as you're seeing that kind of relationship building across different spheres, building capacity and skill and perspective together is like really, really key to culture change. And there's a lot of right answers to, to this, right? So I don't wanna you know, speak as if I kind of have like the one. I think it really takes all of us and all of our different perspectives and experiences. I will say that something that I think we come up against a lot in this work is kind of thinking about sexual violence and relationship violence as issues that like exist somewhere else, kind of like on their own, like floating outside of our everyday lives. Um, and I think, that makes a lot of sense. I think that that is often like a, a safety strategy um, emotionally around living in like a really violent world. And I, we talk about this sometimes with patterns around victim blaming, like why emotionally do so many of us catch into that, even unconsciously, even when we don't want to. And I think it's in some ways a response to if we really acknowledged how often violence is happening to so many people in our communities, how would we cope with that? What would that say about our relationships to survivors, our relationships to people who perpetrate violence, you know, our um, kind of how we just like navigate a, a world that is so unsafe for so many people, particularly in places that should be especially safe. So I think part of what we need to shift culture is to acknowledge how integrated or like how prevalent um, like oppression and coercion and lack of respect for boundaries and autonomy are throughout 
all of our systems, right? Many of our systems are in fact built on those things, um, as well as in our relationships to each other, even relationships where we really care about each other and in the ways we relate to ourselves. And so really like looking hard at like, what do we value, right? What's important? Um, like I wouldn't say, I think very few people would say that their organizations or their communities, you know, value violence or oppression explicitly, right? But we're often also not really centering like consent culture, holistic well-being, um, trauma responsive practices, self-determination, and really like a collective liberation lens. Um, and so this kind of normalization of harm is both like really structural, right? We see that in, in terms of how our institutions operate, but it also can be so subtle, just the way that we talk to each other, right? Or even the way we like talk to ourselves. So this is really hard to recognize. And I think that's part of why we really don't a lot of the time is it's just, it's really painful. And I know those of us who are really embedded in this work have a lot of conversations about like, when you start looking for violence, you see it everywhere, right? And you see it in your own practice. So not necessarily at like a far end of a scale, you know, but small ways that we might project our feelings onto other people or fail to check in about boundaries. Um, this also means that there are constant entry points for change, right? That kind of all of the ways we're interacting with other people, interacting with systems, there's a lot of ways that we can really choose to prioritize each other's autonomy and kind of like a liberation lens. And this can be really simple validations when someone's having a hard time, um, really simple checking questions about boundaries, about what somebody needs and accountability, getting used to giving each other feedback about what our impacts are and kind of like, really small like basic ways i think that's really not normalized within the dominant culture here um so recognizing that kind of like how we're treating each other how we're learning at a university how we're working is at least as important as like what we're learning or what kind of work we're doing right um so really shifting to that kind of trauma responsive lens to focusing on mental health to like an anti-oppression perspective in all of our spaces, which I think here on campus also means really talking about alcohol culture, right? Um, talking about white supremacy and how other oppressions show up on campus and talking about um, like our understandings of like the academy too. And like, what does it mean to be successful here? And, and thinking about kind of how patterns of marginalization show up in all of that. Um, and starting to have hard conversations about how we might be invested in some of those norms, right, without even wanting to be, right, unconsciously, um, based on just how we think about this university, how we think about our experience here, and really imagining, like, what would it look like if the campus was really for all of us, right? Um, and then what if the world, right, like, what if our communities overall, like, we're really focused on belonging for everyone, starting from the margins, so starting from marginalized student experiences, survivor experiences, where people are are kind of living at the intersections of trauma, oppression, and exclusion, like starting from those experiences and then like building out to what like a safe and affirming world might look like and figuring out how does that translate to classrooms? You know, how does that translate to social spaces, like party spaces, workplaces, and just everyday relationships? So that's a lot, but I hope there's like at least a little bit of a sense that, you know, that that's possible, right? That there are small ways that we kind of begin to practice that um, I really like how Adrian Marie Brown talks about like fractal work. So how are we building the world we want to live in, like even in like the our our small like everyday practices um, within the how of the culture change. So happy to hear thoughts, feedback too. Um, you know, there's a lot of layers there, but I really appreciate the opportunity to speak about it and how all of you are um, and folks on campus in general are already contributing to that shift.
Well, I so appreciate, again, an incredibly nuanced and multi-layered thoughtful response. I think kind of with this idea that we all have like different starting places and our ideas of, you know, all of this information, are there any like particular resources you might recommend? Um, other than I know you just mentioned one, but if there's anything else that folks could check out, like further reading or recommended reading or next steps or like check out the prevention website, like where do we go from here? Oh, that's such a great question, Liz. Um, yeah, I feel like there are a lot of different directions that could go with kind of like prevention lenses, um, how that intersects with like anti-oppression, consent culture stuff. Um, if it's okay, I'd love to like do a little bit more thinking about that. And maybe yeah. there's a couple things y'all could link to um, associated well, we with the podcast that. episode. Yeah, okay. that would be, be excellent. Awesome. Yeah. And I, I have to say that I started reading a new book that I love. Um, it's called um, Turning This World Inside Out, The Emergence of Nurturance Culture. And I really, really love it. Um, um, so nurturance culture as the opposite of rape culture. Um, uh, so um, uh, yes, if anyone wants to check it out, um, uh, you can find it in like just common spaces where you may buy a book. That's such a good one, Mary. I really like Marissa Amaranth's work. And that's actually reminding me kind of at a more like everyday relationship level. Um, there's a book called, it's like Unf Your Boundaries. Um, and I'm trying to remember the specific author, but um, it's someone who's a therapist and is writing about like, what does it look like to like kind of start over with like, like relearning. So many of us don't learn about our own boundaries, respecting other people's boundaries. So it's not like specific to intimate relationships or sexual relationships, but I think that's also like we really need consent culture, right, integrated throughout all of our lives. So that's one I'd recommend off the bat. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to have to add that to my reading list. Awesome. So how about we shift folks? Um, I know that we can talk about this um, uh, forever because it is such an important conversation and there are so many layers to it. And sadly, we have to move on to our mindfulness exercise. So just going to encourage you to sit comfortably. Find um, uh, your peace and, and comfort and I will, it's called heart tap. So tap on your breastbone in the center of your chest with your fingertips. Tap as hard or as softly as you like. Tap as fast or slowly as is comfortable for you. You can add the gentle command, I love you, which signals to the brain and soul that you are worthy and deserving of love. This can be also a practice to further self-kindness and self-compassion. It's even okay to say I love you even if you don't believe it, because it still activates changes in the body and the brain. Especially when navigating trauma, I know that it can be really hard sometimes to feel connected to ourselves, 
to our bodies and our own innate worth. So we'll welcome you to practice this as you find it helpful or useful. And you can come back anytime. How are folks feeling? I feel relaxed. I always love these little moments when we record our podcast because it's like, well, guaranteed, Liz, you will get at least two minutes of mindfulness in today in your mindfulness practice. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I really uh, appreciated the like um, the physical kind of component. It helped me slow down. I was like tapping really slowly to be slower. I think that's what I needed. Um, so I really appreciate that piece. Thank you, Liz. Yeah, there's something that feels so much more intentional about it, about adding the tapping piece. I feel like if I had just like repeated to myself, I love you, I feel like there would have been a bunch of like self-talk in there of like a lot of thoughts associated, let's just say. But that was just like a nice way of like, hey, <laughs> like, I love you, like for real. Like, I don't know. It was just a nice little connection bit I enjoyed. Thank you, Casey. I really liked it too. I feel so grateful to kind of get to sit in on that experience with you all. Um, yeah, Mary, I really liked that you said too, like you don't necessarily have to believe it or be, to be totally there, right? And I think that feels relevant too to this conversation about like, how do we get to a world free from violence? Feels very far away, but like we can practice as if, you know, as if we're living there knowing we want to live there. Um, and yeah, it just helped me I think I like got in touch with maybe some sadness I needed to feel, but then also kind of feel like I woke up and was like, oh, I've been like on autopilot, you know, a bunch of the day and um, started being able to like hear the birds again. And so thank you so much for that experience. And I think like that's, that's culture change too, right? Like how we're talking to our, our bodies and our minds and how we do that for ourselves so we can do that for each other. So thank you. Thank you so much for that, Nola. Absolutely. And thank you, Liz and Casey. I feel like it is a really powerful exercise and I'm fairly new to it. Um, so I'm glad that we got to practice it. And I hope that our listeners find it helpful. And if not, it, that is totally okay. Um, you get to decide what is right for you and you get to decide what feels helpful to you and what doesn't. And we're here to just like put a bunch of stuff in your toolbox for you. Exactly. All right, everyone. Well, feel free to tag us by using the hashtag connecting badgers on social media. With any thoughts, feedback, requests for topics or questions you might have regarding our next topic, um, which will be on the second part to our finding a therapist episode. So specifically focusing on um, finding a therapist and using insurance. And you can also check out MHS's Instagram. So that's UW underscore MHS. I want to thank Nola one more time for joining us today for our podcast. Nola, it was lovely to have you. And I also want to thank all of you for listening. As a reminder, if you are struggling, you can always access our 24-hour crisis line for support, whether you are in Wisconsin or any other state, by calling us at 608-265-5600, option number nine. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Thank you, Nola. Bye. Thank you all. Take care. <laughs>